Amen. Well, definitely be uh, great to be back in the uh, United States of America. You know, this song, though, just really, uh, I think having had the opportunity to spend the last three weeks in the Middle East, just really takes it home as to God's impact, uh, the, God, the calling that God has called us to, and just really seeing lives changed internationally, not just here at home. My name is Steve Marici. Uh, I have the incredible honor, pleasure. Uh, I could continue to go on with a very long list of adjectives describing how I feel about having the opportunity to serve here in the South Bay Church. Uh, I know my wife feels the same way. Before I get any further, though, is uh, Matthew Colbank out there somewhere? Why don't you stand on up, man? I think most of you know that uh, that's Scott's oldest son, uh, the, the Cole Banks, who uh, moved out from here to uh, Tennessee. You're representing Australia this morning, right? He's our brother in Christ. Uh, it's really awesome. Now, you've been a disciple how long now? Nearly two years. I remember getting a phone call. I don't even remember who the heck it was that called me to fill me in on it, but I felt bad because I found out about it before your dad actually did. But uh, it's great to have you here this morning. Uh, super proud of you and you taking a stand for Christ, making Jesus Christ Lord of your life. Great to have you here today. Going to uh, jump right into things this morning. Uh, our first passage comes out of uh, Acts 16, verse 6. And the title of the message this morning is The Calling. Acts 16, verse 6. You guys there? Amen. Acts 16, verse 6 reads, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. You know, when I think of just the, those two words, the calling, I would imagine most of us as disciples can relate. Uh, do you remember when you were called? Just two of you this morning? <laughs> Is there, man, maybe there's a little bit of fear trepidant about where I'm going with this today. But the calling, you know, Paul had this vision that we see here in verse 9. He says, come over into Macedonia and help us, is the voice that he heard. And you know, and I think this is what can happen with us as disciples, or before we became disciples. You know, were, were any of you busy before you made Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Uh, at the point in time that someone reached out to you, invited you to church, or do a Bible talk, or to study the Bible... Was it kind of a challenging thing to respond to because of where you were already at in life? And you know, and this is how it can be in life. Here we've got Paul, and he's out preaching the word, he's having an impact, he's making a difference, yet 
He's being redirected by the Holy Spirit. You know, he and Timothy were traveling throughout Asia preaching the word. They were already busy. And they were busy for the Lord, not for themselves. But now they're being redirected. And the thing that I want to ask you this morning, are you still open to the Lord's calling? You know, is, as a Christian, as a disciple, is Jesus Christ still Lord of your life? Is he still Lord of your plans? Is God Lord of your plans? Are you open to the neighbor or friend that may be calling out to you for help? You know, for some of you that, that are visiting here with us this morning, maybe the door to true Christianity was just open. Or maybe you used to be involved a long time ago, and this is the first time you've been to church in years. But I ask you again this morning, are you open to the calling? See, Paul and Timothy were. You know, when God calls, which one of the two buttons do you hit there? You know, it's a little bit different on our phone today. You can kind of decline with the message, you know. Is, is that where you're I'm not, I'm not saying no, God, but, you know, I'll get back to you later. Yeah, I'm in a meeting right now. You know, and, that, and that's how we can be. And the thing that I love about Paul and Timothy right here, they responded to the call, and they responded to the call immediately why someone needed help. Someone needed hope. Someone needed to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you, today, this very moment, there is someone in your world, someone in your life, someone on your block, somewhere in your neighborhood that needs help, that needs hope, that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But the thing that's key for each and every one of us is we need to listen for God's voice. We need to listen for Jesus Christ's voice. And we've got to be open to the voice of the Holy Spirit and the prodding and maybe the redirecting that God is trying to facilitate in our lives so we can respond to those other individuals that need help. You know, when you hear the call, one of the things that we see here in this passage is, what was the response time? It was immediate. And it's awesome that that's exactly what took place. They obeyed immediately. They didn't procrastinate. Paul was ready to go at once. And why is it important to obey immediately? Is it possible that a window of opportunity can close? You know, I think one of the things that we can, we can sometimes forget about today is we're not promised tomorrow. We're mortal. We're finite in this life. Now, as Christians, we have the opportunity for eternity. But you know what? There's others that have yet to hear that good news, who've yet to have that hope instilled, who've yet to receive the help that they need in their lives today. We see that with Paul and Timothy, they obeyed immediately and they obeyed exactly. They didn't veer off the course, they didn't make side trips, but they actually sailed straight to Macedonia. They didn't deviate. And this calling glorified God. I mean, in the verses that follow, it's so amazing. They go off to a place to pray after they've gotten there. And lo and behold, who do they run into? A Gentile who was a God-fearer, but not a disciple. She hadn't been baptized. Her sins hadn't been forgiven. And yet they had the opportunity to meet this woman. There, there's their first opportunity. God put it right there for them where they went out to pray. Shortly thereafter, we see a jailer and his entire family who come to believe in Jesus Christ and are baptized for forgiveness of their sins. 
You know, I'll look back at a number of different callings I've had in my life. The response to the calling, I think most of us would agree with, wasn't easy, and it never is. You know, 1990, it's interesting, the first one, the first real one was probably the easiest of the bunch. When Bruce and Norti came into our lives, I think subconsciously, I was crying out for help. I didn't know how to be a husband. I didn't know how to be a dad. I, if, if anything, I was working at destroying those things because of my lack of how to engage on that level. And it was so awesome to have people come into my life that were able to model for me what it looks like to be a godly father, what it looks like to be a godly husband. And so, you know, there were things in our lives that needed to change at that point in time, but really, it, it was so easy looking at the benefits of becoming a Christian, of becoming a disciple, to make Jesus Christ Lord. Now, a couple years later, it got a little more challenging, but there was a new calling, and that was to, to go into the ministry. What the heck does that mean? Not having any idea what it looked like, and my wife would probably uh, allude to the fact that I'm still a little naive sometimes to this stage in life. But it was like, okay, I mean, if that's the next step as a disciple, I'm, I'm down, let's do it. Uh, Jack was a little bit more reticent. But there were some serious things that we had to look at. You know, things that we had spent years building towards in our careers. I remember selling our brand new home that we had had custom specced out for us. I mean, this place was amazing. We had a bridge that separated the kids' bedrooms from the master bedroom. Yeah, well, uh, actually a, uh, a, a, guarded, a guarded sentry on the bridge or a troll or something probably would have been a good idea. But we had to give up that house. We had two cars. That was probably the biggest one to count the cost on. And, I mean, can you imagine Jackie and I sharing one car? There, there were some marital issues that came out of that, but again, we got help through discipling. You know, I remember Jackie selling her, her wedding ring one year for special contribution, wanting to make a difference. And I know we, through the years, we've kind of thought about that one, maybe as to whether or not that was the, the best idea or not, but knowing that it was for special missions and having experienced what we did the last three weeks, I'm so grateful that we had the opportunity to do that to make a difference. 2003, another rather interesting calling, going from the full-time paid ministry back into uh, tent making, but still remaining at the, at the helm as an evangelist in Ventura. Challenging. I think the most challenging one, though, was 2010, when we were asked to go back into the full-time paid ministry. I feel like in some ways I can relate to Paul in a, in a small way with the different things that he went through in his life and the things that he counted the cost on. And I think it comes, it's very clear for us in this next passage in 2 Corinthians 7. Starts out, says, in fact, when we came into Lebanon, I mean Macedonia, we had no rest, right, babe? Instead, we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, fears inside, but God who comforts the humble comforted us by the arrival of Titus, and not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. You know, and I look back at these last three weeks, and uh, I've known Mike Rock through the years, and I think a lot of us know him on the surface. He's kind of gruff, 
he kind of plays this, you know, he's like this really, really kind of tough guy. Whoops, I must have hit the button. We could uh, back up, I'll go ahead and put it down. Talking with my hands here, which obviously creates issues with the remote. But you know, it was amazing to see how Mike poured himself out over the last three weeks. And it was, it was wild. I mean, literally, he'd be in meetings from 7, 8 o'clock in the morning until 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. And the next day, repeating this over and over and over again. And what an incredible comfort it was to the brothers and sisters there who were starving for that degree of input, starving for that kind of help with their marriages, starving for that kind of help with their ministries, and just seeing the incredible difference that that made. In Acts 16, verse 6, we, we see that, uh, oh, actually, I, moving on here, sorry, wrong, wrong verse. Having had the opportunity to meet a couple of heroes in the faith for Jackie and I, you know, meeting Simon, who leads the church there in Egypt, and how his family must have felt when he went home and had the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Simon Hinn was baptized at SDSU, San Diego State University. After he graduated, he was forced to go back to Jordan. And years after he moved back due to his immigration status, the ICOC sent a mission team to Jordan. Two days after the mission team arrived in the country, one of the team members attended a family reunion and renewed an acquaintance with a cousin they hadn't seen in years. When she invited him to church, she learned that he'd been baptized by a disciple named Simon who was converted in San Diego, San Diego Church of Christ, three years earlier. And shortly before returning to the Middle Eastern home, Simon then served his country, Jordan, for two years in the military. And when he was discharged, he shared his faith with his family, converting several of them. It was really kind of cool is that when the team met with these unknown disciples, it was awesome to come to the realization that there was already a church of eight people there. Now, today, there's 78 as of last year. Last year, they had five baptisms there in Jordan. You know, and for me, it's just remembering that God always provides. God provides that ram in the thicket. He's Jehovah Jireh, the provider. He gives us what we need when we need it, even comfort. When things aren't going great for you, he'll send you that Titus. You know, when God called Simon, he answered the calling. And here this last week, he answered the calling again. He was just asked to come back stateside. <laughs> Is my time up? <laughs> Somebody set a timer on me? I don't think I've been up here more than seven minutes. <laughs> or is that Simon calling? <laughs> Hello, Simon. Hello, Simon. <laughs> amen, amen. But you know, my heart really goes out to these people with the challenges they've got in their ministries and the fact that really they're very young ministries in a lot of ways. They don't have what we've got here as far as the depth of age, the depth of life stations, various ages of kids, various ages of parenting, various ages of relationship, job experience, degrees, whatever you want to call it. And because of some of the challenges that he was having in his marriage, and, you know, it kind of reminds me of where I was as a young minister, it was so easy to see everybody else's challenges. It was so easy to see what everybody else needed. But as a young minister, I was, I, I was really blind as to what was going on under my own roof. And if it hadn't been for being stateside with a number of people that have gone down this road before us, even as a Christian, things are challenging 
I, I definitively know I probably wouldn't still be in the full-time ministry today. And even as a Christian, things can happen. We, we've seen divorce happens. And I'm super grateful, and I know we, this was something Mike was tormenting over as far as the need to pull Simon and his wife back stateside and give them help in their marriage. And what that represents to the church, their, their full-time number one guy being taken out. And the, the trepidation that Sammy has stepping into Simon's shoes and just kind of seeing that being worked through the, during the time that we were there. But he was willing to answer that calling. And what that shows me is a man who relies on God and his faith is in God and his hope is in God and he really trusts in discipling. You know, I'd like to take a moment here just to uh, talk to the members for a few minutes, our teens, our singles, and our marrieds. You know, I really feel very, very, very blessed. As you can see here, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. For those of you that live locally, you know that's a shot right off of our pier here in Redondo Beach. And uh, it's just amazing the contrast here temperature-wise. I mean, I sweat like, pretty much like a pig wherever I am. Imagine me outside of the realm of the 70s in triple-digit heat with almost the same degree of humidity. Uh, I was going through several sets of clothes throughout the course of the day and several showers when I had the opportunity. But, you know, I think in a lot of ways I can take for granted what I have here stateside, where, where I live, how blessed I really am. And I think, as, as, again, when it comes to our brothers and sisters here in the church, just really thinking through this. I mean, it's amazing what we're blessed with. We have an elder in South Bay, an elder in GLB, an elder in the West Side, an elder in the Spanish-speaking church. We have specialized ministries and staff, evangelists and women's ministry leaders throughout our churches. We also have mature disciples and shepherds in all of our specialized ministries. We are blessed. All of us are very, very blessed. You know, I have a renewed conviction about what a privilege it is to be in a mature church. And what a privilege it is to be in discipling relationships. And I, I know I've said it before, but I, I really believe this with all my whole heart, how important this is. If you're not in a consistent discipling partnership, you're in danger. There's way too much at stake. We can't be too busy. We can't be too above or beyond the need for that partnership, the friendship, the mentoring, and the coaching that's involved in one anothering. Men and women modeling for us the calling that we've been called to as Christians, helping us to be like Jesus in our dating relationships, our jobs, our schools, our households, our marriages, our parenting. And there's so many, we think about this, there's so many issues and so many challenges and problems that ultimately are, are solved when we walk like Jesus and carry our cross together, one another, daily. Amen? You know, my heart was moved to tears when we left. And I think what it gets down to is, again, taking for granted how blessed we are and the privileges that we have in America. You know, I, it's probably a good thing that I don't speak the language because it was definitively on my heart, heat and all the rest of it aside, seeing the needs that because of the size of the church and sometimes the environments they're in, I mean, guys, it's something as simple as communion. Our church in... Cairo can't even take communion because of the, the religious implications there. It's a Muslim nation. 94% of Egypt is Muslim. 
looking at our marriages, my marriage today, the relationship I have with my kids today, and, and just seeing how much of a need I could meet if I were to insert myself over there. It was really very, very challenging leaving. 2 Corinthians 7, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 through 8 reads, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ our comfort also overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If you are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is experienced in your endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will share in the comfort. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We are completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life. To me, it's encouraging knowing that God will come through. He comes through for us here. He will come through for us wherever we have a church. And God's this incredible God of enabling, of empowering. God will enable you. If he calls you to it, he will see you through it. That's the long and the short of it. If he is, that calling is something you've received, God will make sure you get through it if we rely on God and stay the course. God will empower you. God will comfort you. Not about, I don't know about you, but when he calls me, I will answer. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. Heed the call. Amen? You know, I, I think of the situation with Sammy. Sammy answered a call in 1996, and the church that we started was underground in Baghdad, Iraq. For a year and a half, the church grew rapidly in number, and many were thirsty to hear the, new, the good news of Jesus Christ, to hear the truth and to be set free. Satan struck incredibly hard during that period of time, and the leaders were in prison. One for three and a half months, Sammy for three full years. And I, I think I may have shared this Wednesday night, almost every single day of the three years he was in prison, they'd sat him down in a seat, and they'd tied his ankles to the chair legs, and they'd tied his wrists to the chair legs, and he was beaten with a rod on a daily basis. To me, it's just so wild to know that we actually have brothers and sisters today that are living with and have been scattered just like our brothers and sisters were in the first century church. Sixteen years later, the evil still is on the rise. ISIS in Iraq and Syria, they're expanding quickly because they've got all kinds of money. With that comes the guns and the weaponry that is just wreaking havoc. Christians being crucified and beheaded. Christians being terrorized. You know, just even the, even the period of time, the week before we went to Cairo, the president's motorcade was bombed. While we were in Jordan, the Italian embassy was attacked. There were Italians that were killed on the grounds of that embassy. And then a day before we met with the church in downtown Cairo, a building a block and a half away had been destroyed by a car bomb. This is what our brothers and sisters are living with on a daily basis. You know, it's, it's just, it's wild, the difference in conditions. You know, just some specs here. Global terrorism in 2014, 10,000 terror attacks in 2013, 17,958 deaths. And you can see the increase in the countries that it took place in. It's just wild, the condition of the world globally today. While well, we sit at home in our incredible beach community. You know, taking it a little bit further, 
the Syrian situation, millions of people homeless. Just some stats on this. I, I, I was blown away by the condition of Lebanon. In April 2014, the homeless population of Syrian refugees in Lebanon was 22.5 million people. Take a look at the bottom of that slide, the overall population of Lebanon. Millions of refugees. And then there's the child component. 77,000 children, 291,000 children, 56,000 children, 7,600 children. All these refugee children that are without homes. And sometimes we, we, we question ourselves about giving to foreign missions in the Middle East, and what it is that's going on in the Middle East. You know, I look at Sammy, and I look at Simon, and they responded to the call, and they stayed faithful. And many others are responding to the call today. Right now, I'm going to have Jacqueline come up. She's got a few things that she wants to share with us, and then I'll, I'll close things out with a prayer for our communion today. on a Middle East uh, trip, um, and it's been about, well, since we've been here, nobody from our group, uh, our five churches, our church is broken down into geographic regions, eight geographic regions in LA. Our geographic region has five churches, two Spanish-speaking, one in Greater Long Beach, one in the West Side, and the uh, South Bay Church. And um, it's about uh, close to 1,200 souls. And so we, one of our mission points is the Middle East. Uh, first of all, I want to just say how proud I am of, the, of this church uh, and what a great, um, I don't know, you guys just, uh, it's easy to brag on you when we were visiting yeah. uh, the Middle East and just be, because we're so proud of what you guys have done here, but not only that, but the sacrifice. Um, our region gave uh, close to $400,000 to uh, mission this year, 200000 of which goes to the Middle East uh, work. And the other part goes to Central America and Mexico City. So um, anyway, that's one of the reasons for us going over there. The purpose of the trip was, um, you know, because it is one of our mission points, and nobody, at least since we've been here for five years, has gone over uh, to visit the churches. And they need, um, they need a lot of encouragement. Yeah. Uh, they need our, our missions contribution, but they need a lot more than that because, um, like Steve said, I mean, they're out there, they're on their own, they're not, they don't have discipling as readily available as we do because of, yeah, for the leadership. Um, <clears throat> also, some of it is cultural. And, uh, you know, so there's just, there's not the resources that we have here. That's the bottom line. And so uh, the purpose was to go over there and kind of let's see what's going on and to build bridges and to, you know, quote unquote, assess the land to see what God is doing with the resources that we send. And there's something really great about that and good about that and, um, you know, a healthy accountability about that. Uh, but what I want to share really quick is, um, okay, I don't know what order these are in. Are, any, are these in any order? Um, they were. Have you been going back? Have you been going through them? No. Well, okay, I don't know. So is this the first slide? Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. So this actually is Ramez and um, Abir. Rayad, and they lead the church, well, now they lead the church in Cairo. <laughs> they were one of three church leaders in Cairo with Simon and, um, and Rima leading 
the church overall, but they lead the church now, or they're taking it over. Um, so we need to be praying for them because uh, let's say this is a really huge faith, <laughs> a, a really huge faith move for them to take the, the whole uh, Cairo church. And um, so I'm just going to go through some stats. In Jordan, we have leading Simon. I don't have pictures for these guys yet. So I, do you want to do that or you want me to do it? I don't know what the order is on them, but... Okay, well, we'll just kind of go with where, wherever it goes, I guess. All right, so in Jordan, um, it was planted in 1990, and Simon and Fadia um, Sakakini, I don't know, that's really bad, probably. Uh, they lead the church there, and, um, and I'm sorry, that, I'm sorry, Sammy and Fadia Sakimi, they lead the church there, and Samar, which was um, Mahar's wife. Uh, many of you know that Mahar died a couple years ago of a really bad car accident, and, and they were, Samar was in the car with them, and she had to go through a lot of rehab and surgery, and, uh, but she's on staff as well there. So we support that church. Um, we also support uh, the Sudan, um, and the Sudan has 68 disciples, was planted in 2001 in four churches. They had six baptisms in 2014. The, the, it, the, the situation in Sudan is just scary. I mean, um, Mike went in with Simon, and I can't share everything, but I will share this, that they were looking for uh, disciples that had been missing and scattered because of uh, ISIS, and they were trying to move um, all the disciples south. And, uh, and they were able to find all the disciples except three, so we need to continue to pray for that situation. Um, but it was really encouraging to see the church uh, in the Sudan. And, um, but, the, but the places that, that, that our brothers and sisters meet um, for service, it, it, you just can't describe it. I mean, uh, none of us to our shame, honestly, probably would go visit uh, if somebody invited us to church in America and it was these types of uh, locations and these types of facilities. And, uh, and it was very scary, honestly, some, at least in Cairo, I definitely did not feel safe in Cairo. Um, I felt safe in other places but did not feel safe in Cairo. Uh, and we had to walk through the streets in Cairo to get to the church building. and. Um, and then, like Steve said, many times they can't even take communion because they know what we're about as disciples. And even though it's a Christian group that owns this building, they don't like some of our beliefs. So, uh, and then you have the church in um, Lebanon, and that's led by Mafid and Jesse uh, Tome. And they have, um, they have a few uh, intern in terms of what we would consider interns, there's 55 disciples there. They had night baptisms last, uh, last or, uh, this year already, and that was planted in 1994. And in uh, Cairo, Egypt, uh, we have 89, or I'm sorry, it was, it was planted in 89. We have three churches, 118 disciples, eight baptisms this year, and um, there are three separate churches. And Simon and Rima Hen, Simon who's coming here, they were leading part of that. Ramez and Abir are leading part of that. And they have another gentleman, Hani. And these are all the people that we are uh, supporting. They are, just because of economics, they can't be self-supporting. I mean, they're just not self-supporting. Uh, prayerfully, I mean, they're working towards that. They're doing what they can do. They're not, um, I mean, they're very faithful, 
hardworking disciples. But they even have people leaving and going to different, like going to Kuwait, because what the money they can make with the degrees they have in these, in these countries, when they go to Kuwait, they're making double the amount. And so it's just a really challenging, challenging um, field. But you don't get the sense that, I mean, they don't, they, they don't, they don't talk about that. They're, this is just their, their world and their life. And so, um, but it, it was really eye-opening because I did, you know, I felt like I did have some questions. Like, what are, you know, what are we doing over there? And how many disciples are there? And, and you know, $200,000 is a lot of money. Um, you know, I just think it, I wanted to see, too. Like, what are we supporting? I want to see what God was doing with our resources. And, and you would be very, very proud of what God is doing with our resources. Not that that should ever have a bearing on what I give, but I think it just gave me peace of mind, um, you know. So uh, anyway, I don't, let me see what's on here. Okay, this is a video. Can we play this video? Do I have to click it or can you click it up? Am I clicking it? This was at the conference. Let's see if this goes. Okay, it doesn't look like it's going. Uh, but this was the, oh, here we go. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hello, Coastal LA Church. Um, my name is Khalim, my wife, uh, Lemise. We are from Jordan. Uh, this is our expecting baby, <laughs> Rina. Uh, we are in Middle East Conference. Uh, we wish we, you all with us here. Uh, we love to see you all. We are very encouraged in this conference. The messages are very strong and we hope we'll meet you someday. We, I want to tell you something. <laughs> you are very lucky with your leaders, with Steve and his wife. We love him. They are very incredible people. We love you guys. Uh, they were, he's, a, he's a goofball. He was photobombing everybody. And so everybody started photobombing him. But um, just to kind of give you the spirit of, of the disciples there. And uh, let's see what this is. Okay, this is a... Uh, Okay, this is uh, it's goofing off. We did do a lot of touristy things, which was really unexpected. Um, Why am I the only one wearing? But that there? was in in addition, because you're the most gullible. Um, that was in addition to all the other church stuff, and we weren't allowed to say no. Honestly, we said no one time, and we, they were very offended. And so we had to see everything in every country that they wanted us to see. So it made for a very tiring but awesome trip. But um, these are some of the guys there. That's the let's see. The three okay. amigos. So the three amigos, this is Mafid. He leads uh, the church in Lebanon. And then there's Sammy. And, uh, you know, he is in uh, Jordan. And then there's Simon, who is coming back stateside for some time. And then the next picture, uh, the guy in the green shirt, he was our driver, George. Um, he's a Lebanese police officer. I love the way he drives. Okay, I will leave it at that. That tells you right there enough. He's awesome! I mean, literally, Kip Harms was screaming like a little girl. If you've ever seen Kip Harms, he's you huge. You can quote her. He knows it. I mean, he literally, he had to move to the center seat. Like, literally, he had to switch seats with somebody because he was so afraid on some of these roads. Going over a cliff. And cliffs you know, and like whatnot. That. And... Yeah, he should have worn the hat. And then that's, that's uh, uh, 
Nagir, and he was always correcting George on his driving, and he's an older Christian than George. George had dated the church for like six years, then finally got baptized like seven or eight months ago. And then, and so Nagir keeps telling him, uh, you're prideful, I'm an older Christian than you, you should listen to me, you're, get off your phone while you're driving. Anyway, it was really hilarious. I'm telling you, disciples are the same no matter where you go. <laughs> I think George is going to be an evangelist because he drives like one. There you go. I'll take it, I'll take it. Okay, so um, the far right, we had a, a great opportunity. First of all, that's Jessie in the, in the teal blue. Um, she is uh, Mufid's wife, and she is the one that has that talk show over in Lebanon. She's the Oprah of Lebanon. Yes, she's the Oprah of Lebanon. And uh, they're a really great couple, and uh, they love Lebanon. And, um, and now we love Lebanon. It really, this doesn't go anywhere, but it really was my favorite place to go. Uh, and then... Um, the picture with me and Libby, those are a bunch of your sisters in the church in Cairo. And uh, the, the picture below that is also the church in Cairo. And those two young people in the very front, they were with us um, on the trip. There were 12 of us traveling together. The fact that we didn't kill each other was amazing. Okay, so I want to tell you a little funny story now. So I had this idea. As I told you, we got to do some touristy things, which is really awesome. Um, but I had this idea in 2000, we were in Jerusalem. So here's the idea. The idea was get on a camel and instead of going in one circle, like you did in Jerusalem, Jackie, let's go in maybe three circles. Let's get a real camel riding experience. That was the idea. Well, what happened was- She's glad brother, it was her idea, not mine. <laughs> this brother, Samir, took us to, this was his idea took us to a camel ride. Well, uh, as you can see, we were really far away from the pyramids. So literally there was no other human life out there except our group. And, it, and Tourism's it, dropped off quite a bit in so Egypt. So literally we thought that, okay, I mean, I thought, like I said, I'm gonna ride around a little bit. And then when they said, well, we'll ride to the pyramids, I'm like, okay, cool, because I saw the pyramids like right there. No, they took us out through this town, through, and this guy right here, he was our Rudy Casillas. He re, he's an Egyptian Rudy Casillas. He reminded me so much of Rudy. He was built like Rudy. He kind of had Rudy's personality, and he was kind of, I told him, I said, you know, and see, joke with him, you know, Rudy's a movie star. He's a, he's a star back at home. And um, so anyway, he, but he was our guide. He thought we were a little crazy, and we were because we were the only ones out there. And so literally I told Bethany a part way out, I'm like, Bethany, now this is 40 minutes in to this camel ride. And I said, Bethany, um, I don't think we're coming back this way. And she goes, why do you say that? I said, well, because have you seen another human being, anybody coming this way? <laughs> no, we're the only idiots out here. We're like, this is nuts. And, uh, About 112 degrees. It was I sweat. I was just sweating for three weeks. That's all I know. I was sweat. I was sweaty hot for three weeks. And uh, anyway, so um, it was a great ride, but it was really funny because the idea, like I said, was to go in a circle three times. And here we are, 40 minutes in, and then we come up on this, and I'm like, wow, they're still really far away. <laughs> so we still have a long way to go. So then I got on a horse, and Steve took my camel. And um, but it was. Let me just say this. I'm glad I didn't know it was going to be that because I wouldn't have done it. 
but I'm glad I did it. <laughs> right? I got I think the animals that we rode would have been appreciative if we hadn't done it. I almost killed my horse. And then Steve and I, it, it almost, we, we were like on the edge of bumping because I'm like, I don't want to see another pyramid. I want to get out of here. Like, we saw the big one. That's enough. Oh, no, we have to go see this tomb of somebody. I don't care who it is. I just want to get out of here. I didn't remind her the camel ride was her idea, though, either. <laughs> so that was the idea. I'm not sure if Samir really knew what he, if he understood what we were wanting, and he was, this was his way of playing a joke on the Americans, or because none of them came with us, now that I think about it. None of the Middle Easterners came with us. That's true. <laughs> he stayed at this tent with this guy while we went and rode the Air camels. Air tent. So now that I think about it, I think maybe. But anyway, so that was one of the little funny things that happened, you know, where you're like, wow, um, a little bit more than I anticipated and a little bit, uh, a little bit more, I don't know, frightening. But anyway, it was a lot of fun. And um, I've never been so tired or dirty, or sweaty in my life. And, uh, but it was the trip of a lifetime, and we have great brothers and sisters over there, and I think the thing that I would take away is something I shared. Excuse me? Huh? Oh, okay. I, get, I think these are kind of, uh, is that all of them, guys? That's all of them, okay. So we can share the other ones later. Um, but I think what I would say is kind of what I shared on, on Wednesday night is that, I mean, when you hear the brothers and sisters singing, you can't understand what they're saying, but the spirit is the same. You still feel moved by the spirit. When you hear them praying and you don't know what they're saying because they're praying in Arabic, um, you st there was that unity of mind and heart that you just can't, you can't explain it if you're not a disciple, you can't explain it to somebody, but you were moved because the heart of the disciple is coming through, praying in a foreign language. And, uh, and people are the same. It's like the woman I shared about who was in the full um, burqa, who couldn't signal to us any other way than by blinking her eyes to say hi to us. And uh, it just made me see that the human condition is everywhere and, I, and that we all need God and we all need uh, to be about the calling. And I think for me, what I have to still ask myself is, you know, Jackie, are you still willing to give up everything, go anywhere and do anything? Am I still willing? Um, where have I gotten just really, really comfortable because our calling here, I, relatively speaking, I know that, that our calling here in America is much different than our culture, okay, to be a true disciple, um, even different than the Christian culture that's put out there. But in the global discipleship, we have it a lot easier than most of the world. And that just can't help me wonder if, you know, to those that has given much, much is expected. And I think that, you know, I just don't, I just don't want to become numb to that. I want to stay raw to the fact that I got to be willing today, right now, in our air-conditioned, comfortable, beautiful auditorium to go anywhere, give up everything, and do anything for God. And um, I think that's a, probably the challenge f for all of us here. So Amen. that's it. Thanks, man. So uh, prayerfully, this has made you feel a little bit more connected with your brothers and sisters in the Middle East. 
Uh, just really keeping in mind the need for prayer, despite all the hatred, the violence, the cruelty, that we can continue to show our love for our brothers and sisters that are there so they can continue to show their love and forgiveness to the surrounding situations that are going on there locally. And they'll still be able to meet people and seek people out that need to hear about the good news regarding Jesus Christ. You know, when it comes to the calling today, maybe God won't call you to a foreign land. But wherever, whenever, and whatever he calls you to, you've got to be ready to respond. You know, even though Paul and his fellow workers were deeply entrenched in the work there and the will of the Lord, they had to be ready to move at a moment's notice when the Spirit called. So I just want to leave you with this as we pray for communion. When God is calling, will you answer that call? Let's make sure that we're able to do just that by keeping our hearts in the right place. Amen? Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Go to the Father in prayer. Father, it's amazing to see what Jesus Christ is doing worldwide today. That the good news that was preached in Acts 2,000 years ago can still have that same degree of impact today. And Father, I pray that each of us here never lose sight of the incredible gift that you've given us through your son, Jesus. I know just simple things, like trying to download a Christian book, not being able to do that, being blocked in the Middle East. Just some of the things I personally take for granted that we can do here. Father, I pray that uh, we can continue to be a great support to the Middle East, both in prayer, in deed, uh, with finances, wh whatever the calling may be there, uh, that will help others, both here and abroad, have the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ preached. And for us today, knowing that because of Jesus' willingness to take on our sins, to die for those sins, but to die blameless, to die sinless, gave him the ability three days later to raise from the grave, that we'll never lose sight of the resurrection, we'll never lose sight of the way that the resurrection empowers us today to live resurrected, transformed lives. Father, I love you. Thank you so much for your son Jesus, who's given us the ability to be adopted into your kingdom, to have the title of sons and daughters of yours, knowing that uh, through the waters of baptism and the forgiveness of our sins, that we are clothed in Christ. And we'll, we'll wait that day, just as like Scott Achia, who's gone ahead of us, to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.